0: James chapter 1, we're going to start in verse number, in verse number 13 tonight. Um, really good stuff. Again, up to this point, James has talked about that we, uh, we should count it all joy when we go through difficult times, times of testing, uh, and these times of testing will show us whether or not our faith is authentic or genuine. When we come to verse number 13, he talks about temptation to sin. And lest anybody be confused about that, James kind of sets us straight on that. As far as that's concerned, uh, I've entitled tonight's message, Avoid Sin Like the Plague That It Is. And uh, we'll uh, see, unpack that tonight. James chapter 1, verse number 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bring forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. If I were to give you a piece of advice when it comes to marking up your Bible, verse number uh, 14 and 15 are ridiculously important. You should circle, you should star those, you should underline them. You should probably just go ahead and commit them to memory. They're that important when it comes to you and I living a life... Of holiness, of righteousness, of basically just doing the right thing and staying away from sin. And so when it comes to righteousness and holiness, righteous meaning just doing what's right. Holiness meaning meaning for you and I to be separate from things that are sinful. And God commands us as Christians to be holy because he is a holy God. And really the struggle for you and I on a day-to-day basis, until the day that we get to see Jesus face-to-face, will be a struggle against sin. And so this passage of Scripture tells us not how to be sinless, but to sin less. It makes us aware of the, the tricks and traps of the devil. It makes us aware of our own shortcomings of our flesh and kind of allows us to put together a game plan to fight against sin. That's really, really important for us as we take a look at this passage of scripture here tonight. The first question we have to ask though, uh, James says in verse number 13, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. We have to ask the question then, if temptation doesn't come from God, where does it come from? So again, God's not going to put something in your path that would cause you to sin. The Bible actually says the opposite of that. The Bible says that God makes a way of escape when we're tempted to sin. And so God actually sets up an environment so that we're, we need to be dependent on him to get out of sin. But God would never set something in your path to cause you to sin. So if temptation doesn't come from God, where does it actually come from? Keep your finger here in the book of James. We're going to come back in just a second. But turn over to Ephesians chapter 2 if you would. Ephesians chapter 2 is going to kind of give us a kind of a guideline as far as uh, where the source of our temptations come from. We had the privilege uh, as a church of studying through the book of Ephesians uh, in, uh, I think it only say it was 2018, uh, 2018, and then as you know, uh, probably part of 2019 as well, we got uh, spent in Ephesians. So much good stuff But Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 2. Says this. I just go back to Ephesians chapter two, verse number one. The Bible says, "In you hath He quickened." That word "quickened" means made alive, who were dead in our trespasses and sin. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we also had our conversation, or the way that we lived our lives in times past, and the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, or the nature of the children of wrath, even as others. I love verse number four. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. We don't have time to really delve into this passage of Scripture. It's ridiculously rich with so much good stuff. But verse number one says, before we knew Jesus, and that might be somebody here tonight you don't know for sure that you know Jesus. It says that you are dead in your trespasses and sin. Now, this is going to be important as we get back to the book of James because the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that the wages of sin is death. Sin always brings death and destruction. And the Bible tells us here that you and I were born into this world spiritually dead. Dead in our trespasses and sin. From the moment that we were born into this world, we were born sinners. Uh, the Bible says that, uh, that babes come forth from their mother's womb speaking lies. And from the moment that we're born into this world, we're sinners And our sin has caused us to be born spiritually dead. That means God, who is a spirit, we have no connection to because our spirit is born dead. So the only way that we can make our spirit alive, we can't do it on our own. We need somebody to make us alive. So, you and I being dead in our trespasses and sin, you and I being cut off from God, and again, if we take a look at this passage of Scripture, it tells us in verse number, uh, end of verse number two, that we are the children of disobedience. Verse number three tells us at the end of that that we're the children of wrath. So again, the idea that all of us are automatically part of the family of God just by being born or that all creatures on planet Earth are part of God's big, huge, happy family is not a biblical idea. The Bible doesn't support that whatsoever. The Bible says that you're of your father, the devil. The Bible says that you are the children of wrath, that we are the children of disobedience. That's who we are, and because of that, we're cut off from God, and we're spiritually dead. And we don't have the power to make ourselves alive. Just like you didn't choose to be born physically and be born into this world of yourself and of your own power, you don't have the power it takes to make yourself spiritually alive either. So, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, so God sends his son, Jesus, to pay the penalty of our sins so that we can be made alive. And by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins, I was supposed to die, but Jesus died for me. I was supposed to be punished for my sin, but Jesus was put upon the cross for the purpose of paying for my sin. And again, the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That Jesus paid my sin debt, paid your sin debt on the cross. And if you would be willing to put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you can be made alive. You see, salvation is more than just changing your habits around. Salvation is more than just trying to be a little bit better of a person salvation is going from death to life how do we do that we can't do it ourselves again if we take a look at ephesians chapter 2 it tells us that uh, verse number four but god who's rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath he quickened us together with christ made us alive together with christ by grace ye are saved If you have your Bible in front of you, you see the little winky smiling face after that, right? It's a colon and a parenthesis, but it looks like a winky smiley face. It says, by grace are you saved. So again, it's not my own merit. It's undeserved, unmerited favor that God gives me the way that I'm saved. So we understand here how we're saved, how we go from death to life. But if we take a look in uh, verse number 2. It tells us that we used to walk before we knew Jesus and when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, we used to walk according to the course of this world. That's important. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's speaking of Satan, and also the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's their dead spirit of their flesh. So if we were to break down the three primary sources of temptation to sin, we would see the world, Again, verse number three, where in time past he walked according to the course of this world. We see our flesh, again, the spirit of the children of disobedience, and we see the devil, the prince in power of the air. So the world, the flesh, the devil are all stacked against you to cause you to sin. So, if we understand where the source of temptation comes from, we can almost kind of cut it off at the source. And I want you to get this idea when it comes to getting a hold of sin or taking control of sin, we have to get it at the root, otherwise it just comes back. For example, if I am so enamored with the things of this world, if the things of this world have great allure and great pull on my heart, if I'm so immersed in popular culture, if I'm so immersed in television shows and movies and music and the things that are trendy and the things that are hot right now and uh, what's going on in social media and what's happening, taking place on the Internet and what I see taking place in the world on the news and things along those lines, and I immerse myself in that, it's going to have a source of temptation to pull my heart away from the things of God. And just know this if you continue to immerse yourself in the world and you try to fight against sin, it's gonna be twice as hard as it would if you didn't just cut it off at the source. So again, we gotta dial this back and figure out not how do I clean up my mess after I've sinned, we need to figure out how do I never get to the point where I do sin. Now, it's important to understand we'll never be without sin. First John tells us if any man says that he doesn't sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. So we're all going to sin, but it's a matter of not sinning willingly or purposely rebelling against God. It's a matter of just being a part of fallen nature. And so the idea here is we want to get a hold of our sin and cut it off at the source. The world, our own carnal flesh, this is the hard one. This is why the Bible says that we're to mortify or put to death the deeds of the flesh. The heart wants what the heart wants and the heart's willing to do whatever the heart has to do to get what it wants. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I just want it. And that fleshly, carnal desire that we have inside of us to have what we want is a source of temptation. Because we think to ourselves, if our flesh gets what it wants, it will be satisfied. I don't know how many times I've thought, I'm sitting in the drive-thru at Panda Express, and if I can just get that glorious Styrofoam square container full of two helpings of orange chicken and white rice. If I just get that in my belly, all of my problems go away, right? But then I find usually 30 to 45 minutes after I've got that in my belly, I begin to feel not so great. I feel kind of yucky. I start having a headache. I start feeling gross. It's probably the MSG, uh, but I don't know what it is. But, but I thought to myself, hey, that was very appealing for a moment, but it's not appealing any longer, and what happens with your flesh is your flesh thinks, oh, this will be appealing. This will be good for me. I will enjoy this. And when you get it, you realize that wasn't really what I wanted. But you need to remember your flesh and your heart are liars. They don't tell the truth. And the Bible tells us here that it's the spirit of the children of disobedience, our flesh. So again, it's not a matter of asking what I want to do. It's a matter of asking what does God want me to do. And then the last one's the devil. Now, I put this one last in my list because I think many times we give the devil far too much credit. Oh, I'm so uh, tempted in this area. Man, the devil's just got my number. You know, Alcohol's really hard for me to say no to. And, you know, when I'm at the bar with the guys and everybody around me is kicking back, you know, beers, I just want to do the same. Well, that's not the devil. That's you putting yourself in the way of sinners. That's the problem. Don't blame it on the devil. Like, own up and take responsibility for yourself. That's your flesh. That's your carnality. That's the world drawing you in. Oh, I just feel this need to fit in with the world and to, to go the way of the world and to do what's trendy and what's popular and what's accepted. And I, I feel the need to fit in wherever I'm at. And, and the devil just gets my number on that. No, you've, you have filled your mind full of the garbage of social media and you compare yourself to fake pictures on the internet. And that's what's caused you to feel the need to fit in. Not the devil. So please don't give the devil too much credit. Now is the devil real? Absolutely. The devil walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The Bible tells us that. But please don't blame all of your problems on the devil. You do enough uh, good of a job ruining your own life. You don't have to blame it on the devil. And just know this. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You don't. The devil has no power over you. Except what you give him. And so... I always struggle when people say, oh, man, the devil made me do it. And I was just like, I don't buy that at all. <laughs> I heard a, a story one time about a little boy who had uh, pulled his sister's hair and kicked her and spit on her. And he, his mom said, what, did the devil make you do that? And he said, well, the devil told me to, to pull her hair and kick her. I chose to spit on her myself. <laughs> I thought, it kind of makes sense, right? But again, the devil didn't make me do anything. I have choice. Does the devil tempt us? No doubt about it. But please don't give him more credit than he's due, that's for sure. So understanding the source of temptation will help us to understand how to deal with it. Go back to the book of James, chapter one, if you would. (laughs) Let no man say what he's tempted, verse number 13. James chapter 1, verse number 13. "Let Let no man say what he's tempted. I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So God doesn't tempt us, the world the flesh and the devil does. Verse number 14, but every man is tempted. It's important to understand that everyone is tempted. Everyone. You say, does that mean everybody? It means everybody. Jesus Christ had fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. Please, fasting should be part of your regular Christian life, but please do not try to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. You will die. Okay, don't do it. But Jesus did, and, and coming off of that, what happened? The devil appeared. And tempted him. Not once, not twice, but three times. And so, again, if if temptation itself were a sin, then Jesus would have sinned. We know that Jesus did not sin. And so we see that everyone is tempted, and temptation itself is not a sin, but giving in to temptation is definitely a sin. Jesus, when he was tempted, three times he answered with Scripture every single time. And so I would challenge you with this. When you find yourself in temptation, run to the Word of God. Run to the Bible. Find sections of Scripture that you claim. Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. If you find yourself struggling with sin, find a Bible verse that you can cling on to, that you can memorize, that you can meditate upon. If you struggle with lust. Remember that Paul told Timothy, flee youthful lust. That's three words for you. Flee youthful lust. You know what that means? Run away as fast as you can. Get out of there. If you just remember that, repeat that to yourself. Flee youthful lust. Flee youthful lust. Flee youthful lust. Man, that would be helpful to you. Because the word of God is our primary source of, of, of fight against temptation. Ephesians chapter 6 when it talks about the armor of God, we have one offensive weapon. The one offensive weapon that we have is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So you want to fight against temptation, you want to fight against the devil, the Bible is your offensive weapon, no doubt about it. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13 says, There's no temptation which has taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But will the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it? First Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13, that's what that is. First Corinthians 10, 13. If you're taking notes, you should jot that down in your margins there. Because here's what sometimes people say. Well, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible actually says God will give you precisely more than you can handle. But when he does, he'll make a way of escape that you'll be able to bear it. So on your own, God will always give you more than you can handle, but you have to turn to him to, to get the escape. Because he'll always make a way of escape. So the temptation itself is not a sin. The problem is, is when we allow temptation entrance into our life, then it becomes problematic. Another thought as we look through this, again, that we're not tempted of God. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. We might not be responsible for our temptation, but we are responsible for our response to it. Your situation, your circumstances, it might not be your fault that you find yourself amidst temptation. Hey, you might find yourself partnered up on a project to work with someone of the opposite sex. That might be a source of temptation. That circumstance, out of your control. Your response to that, 100% in your control. Hey, we're going to work on this project, but you and I are never going to be alone together under any circumstances whatsoever. Hey, we'll work on this project, but we're going to work on it in a common area with a lot of people around. Hey, we're going to work on this project together, but I'm going to get a couple of people on this team with us so that we're not working on this project alone. You'll always have the opportunity to choose your response to the temptation. Again, Romans chapter 6 tells us that sin has no more power over us. than any power that sin has in our life is, is power that we choose to give to sin. And so we have the opportunity to be responsible for our response to sin. And while God is sovereign in our trials, we are responsible for our temptations. Again, when God takes us through times of testing and trials and difficulties to allow us to to prove the authenticity of our faith, not to him but to us, God is sovereign in those times of suffering. God is sovereign in those times of trials. But when it comes down to temptation, God allows us free will to choose the right thing or to choose the wrong thing. And so here we see the opportunity for us to walk in holiness and righteousness or to walk in carnality and sinfulness. Totally up to you. But I I love James and how he artfully puts together this pathway towards sin I refer to it as the progression toward destruction. Take a look, if you would, at verse number 14 and 15. So good. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Here we see step one of the progression toward destruction, temptation. We've already taken a look at that. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lusts. Scientists tell us that whenever we see an object or we see something taking place, we usually have about a half a second to a second to make a decision on what we do. For example, you think to yourself, you're driving through an intersection, you see a car coming, your brain automatically has about a half second to think to yourself, I need to slam on the brakes and avoid this collision. Half second. The same thing is true when it comes to temptation. When I see something that I shouldn't see, I've got about a half second or a second to figure out what comes next. And just know this, I'm not smart enough and you're not smart enough to take that half second and think to myself, hmm, what should I do in this particular situation? I've seen something that I shouldn't have. Should I take a second look? Should I not take a second look? Let me think of the ramifications. Should I choose to take a second? Look, half second is a half second. You don't have time to think about it. So here's what you got to do ahead of time. You got to make up your mind ahead of time what your response will be when temptation comes. Because you know, here's the thing. You know you're going to be tempted. And so you have to figure ahead of time what your response to that temptation will be. After temptation Again, verse number 14, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. You and I are tempted and we're lured away. The word that's used in this passage here where he says drawn away is actually a hunting term that's used of a trap that leads to another trap. That's what we think of when we think of every man is, is lured away, drawn away of his own lust. A trap that leads to a trap. Our family was on vacation uh, a while back, and our daughter, Tallulah, had found some turkeys. And she uh, had gotten a loaf of bread out of the kitchen and had basically been making little bread balls. And she'd throw them out in the yard, and the turkeys would come get them. And then she began, mind you, three years old, to create a trail of breadcrumbs. And the trail led into the house and onto the couch. She's like, you can't have turkeys on the couch. Why? Why? They like the couch. I'm sure they do. I don't like turkeys on the couch. And so, But she had, in her three-year-old mind, convinced herself, I can't get the turkeys to come in and sit on the couch, but if I can set up breadcrumbs along the way that lead them and I can trap them on the couch, that would be amazing, right? (laughs) Hey, look, it's so easy a three-year-old can figure it out. That when that lady at work says to you, like, hey, you're looking sharp, you've been working out, Uh Uh-uh, I'm not even going to answer that. That was inappropriate. I'm not going to be like, yeah, I've been lifting weights. I've been working on a keto diet, you know, been lifting. You work out? Tell me about your workout. Uh Uh-uh. You know why? Because you're setting up breadcrumbs along the way that lead to death. And so you just need to realize, first of all, when I'm tempted, I'm going to cut it there. I'm not going to find out where the temptation leads to. Well, let me just try this out for a minute and see where this goes. Let me just look a little way down the path and see where this leads. Let me just test the waters a little bit and see what's out there. No, because that's the progression. So we see verse number 14. Everyone is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So we see temptation, we're lured away, and now we're Enticed. The word enticement is another word for the term bait. You see something that looks attractive, it's sparkly, it's shiny, and you say, ooh, that looks nice. We talked to our men at the men's conference and used the story of Samson from the book of Judges. He had walked through on the way to meet a woman that he should not have met, and a lion tried to attack him, and he took the, the lion and basically tore it in two and left it on the side of the road and went on hooked up with his girlfriend, was coming home, and he found some bees in the carcass of, of the lion. And he had taken a Nazarite vow that he wouldn't touch anything that was dead. But you know what he did? He scooped in that lion's carcass and picked out a handful of honey. And he enjoyed it for himself, and he took it home and he gave it to his parents, and his parents were defiled as a result of his defilement. What happened? He was enticed. Man, that, that honey was just bait. It was shiny, it was sweet, it tasted good. Here's the thing, Samson was the only person there, nobody was around, nobody saw it, what's the big deal, who can get hurt, it's just a little bit of honey, that's enticement. Here's the thing, we wouldn't have to fight against sin if sin wasn't attractive. We've gone to so many uh, teen conferences and youth conferences and stuff like that, and one of the games that they sometimes play is they, they blend up stuff and make people drink it, Right? One time I went to one, they blended up a a Happy Meal in a blender. Chicken nuggets, french fries, they put ketchup in there, and they put a soda in there, and then they blended it up, and you had to come up and drink it. Is that appealing to anybody? I don't think so. So imagine sin is a blended-up Happy Meal. You're like, no thanks. But imagine sin is a piece of red velvet cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory with a side of hot fudge. I could be enticed, Right? (laughs) You know why? Because it looks good. I don't want to ruin this for some of you, so if you really like Cheesecake Factory, you should probably put your fingers in yours at this point. Do you know a slice of cheesecake there is 1,200 calories? (laughs) Some of you put your hands over your ears afterwards. It's like you already missed it. (laughs) That's three-quarters of your daily calories in one slice of cheesecake. I could easily eat four slices. No problem whatsoever. And that's why I'll never be skinny. Uh, and that's okay. But here's the thing enticement looks good. And so, again, when we allow ourselves to be tempted, and then we look and sin looks appealing, and we think to ourselves, what's the worst that could happen? And so, again, the idea of looking at this piece of bait. That again, if you would stop for three seconds and think this thing through, you realize this is all a setup. You can't do this. (laughs) I talked this morning about materialism and how when Angela and I first got married, we got ourselves into terrible financial trouble because of a lack of, um, just an absolute lack of of, uh, financial understanding, no contentment whatsoever in the things that God had given us. (laughs) And <laughs> no lie, there was a time, I conf- I've already confessed it before God, so I'll confess it to you tonight, that we went to buy a card that I knew that we couldn't afford, and then I knew that my, our credit was, wasn't what it needed to be because we'd overextended ourselves. And I falsified the loan documents to say that I made more money than I did so that I could actually get a loan for something that I knew I couldn't afford. you are like, how stupid do you have to be? I know, right? Really? Like, they know you can't afford it, you know you can't afford it, but I think I'll lie so I can get it anyways, Right? Why? Enticement. The car was shiny. It was beautiful. And I knew the moment. Like, I'm picturing myself sitting in the driver's seat with the windows down and the sunroof open, cranking my tunes, driving down the H3, looking at the mountains over there, thinking, like, I am totally awesome and life is good. But you know what it was? It was bait. How long do you think it was before I figured out I'd made a grave mistake? First payment. It's all less than 30 days. You realize, I think I messed up here. And so you think to yourself, no problem. You can just sell it, right? Guess what? You can't sell it for what you owe on it now. Oh, this is bad. So what do I do? Do I roll it into another loan and make another bad decision? No. What do you do? You're stuck with a car that you don't really want, that wasn't what you thought it would be, that you really can't afford. You put yourself in a bad financial spot. Why? Enticement. And again, it's a predictable progression. James tells us exactly how this works. So, then comes, verse number 14, Aaron is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and when lust hath conceived, when lust is born, that's the next part of this, lust. Lust is a strong, deep, burning desire for something. Typically, in the Bible, when you see the term lust, it's going to be used in a negative term, almost without fail. But we can lust after good things. For example, if I, have, if I lust after my wife, that's a healthy thing inside the boundaries of marriage. That could be a good thing. Deep, burning, passionate desire that we have for this. But in this case here that it's talking, this is 100% negative. This is always bad. Bad, bad, bad. Lust when it's conceived, that burning desire and passion, I have to have this. I don't care the cost, I'm willing to pay it. At this point, you've been tempted, you've followed the traps, you've looked at the bait, and you've realized it's worth it, and you bite. And lust has conceived Here's the problem, though. When it comes to lust, lust has a warped sense of value. Lust doesn't have a total 360-degree view of life. I mean, if I were to ask guys in the room to raise their hands, if you would rather be in a marriage with your wife or look at naked pictures on the Internet of women, I think it's a no-brainer for Christian men, for sure, then why do people struggle with pornography? Because in the moment, the value that that is, in the moment, because it's shiny, you've taken the bait, you jump on it, and in that moment, this is worth it. But when you get it, you realize, I think I've been had. I I think I took the bait. I don't think this is what I thought it would be. And again, that's not just for sexual lust, this is for any type of lust. I can't tell you how many times I've bought things and had buyer's remorse. I thought this would bring me happiness. I thought this would be cool. I thought this would be fun, but it's not fun after all. I thought a puppy would be a great addition to our family. Bad idea, right? But you think in that moment, oh, man, it's worth it. Lust has a warped value system. If you had said to me, hey, Anthony, by falsifying these documents, you're not only lying to these people, which is against the law, you're lying before God, you call yourself a Christian, but you're not acting like it, you're buying a car that you can't afford to impress people that you don't like with money that you don't have, and you're setting yourself and your family up for the next five years for financial ruin. You still want to pull the trigger on it? I'd have been like, oh, well, now that you mention it that way, of course I wouldn't. But in the moment, it's shiny. It's shiny. Yeah, I'll pay the price. You know why? Because lust can't conceive, can't can't fathom true value, what it looks like. Lust always values the wrong things. Sin always is attractive to us, even though sin ultimately leads towards death and destruction. But we need to be careful. I talked to our men several weeks ago at our men's leadership night. It's been probably, I don't know, two months ago, three months ago. Proverbs tells us to keep our heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse number 18, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile a man. Here's what he says comes out of your heart. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things that come out of our heart. And lust at some point values these things over other things. And so that's why, again, it comes down to we I cannot trust my heart because my heart is sinful, my heart is wicked, it's carnal. I can't trust the things that come out of me because it leads to a path that I don't want to follow. And then verse number 15, when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. That three-letter word that ruins everything. The word sin literally means to miss the mark. And whether we miss God's standard by Six inches or 60 million miles, you miss it. And again, this isn't time to to really talk about all this, but I want to be really clear when it comes to the idea of sin. Sometimes people say, well, all sin is sin. You know, we're all sinners, and and my sin's no different than your sin. A couple different ways to look at that. First of all, in your judicial standing before God, all sin is sin. James says, if any man offended one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. If you've told a lie in your life, you are equally judicially guilty before God as a person who has committed murder, okay? In that case, our judicial standing before God, sin is sin. Big, little, small, doesn't matter, sin is sin. But in the destructive nature of sin, not all sin is sin. You think about, I lied on a loan application for a car. Was that a sin? Definitely. Is that the same as a guy who goes in and, and shoots up a post office? Would you say that they're equally as sinful? Well, they're equally sin, but the destructive nature of one over the other is totally different. And so again, when we, the, the Bible even categorizes sin into different categories. And here's the worst sin according to the Bible. Sexual sin. It's in its own category. Romans chapter 1 basically says that when we leave God and we choose to be the authority and we choose to worship the creation rather than the creator, that God gives us over to a reprobate mind and the reward that we receive of being our own God is sin, and not only sin, sexual sin. Paul, when he writes to the church at Corinth, tells them, every sin that you do, you do outside of your body, but when you commit fornication, sexual sin, you sin against your own body. It's more destructive, sexual sin. And so, when we talk about lust and sin and things like that, please understand that that sins that we would call normal in our society today are far from normal in God's eyes. Sins that we could say are acceptable in God's eyes are not acceptable at all. That's why, again... Personal preference, I'm going to put it out there, I'm just going to say it, this is my personal preference, pet peeve of mine. There's a series of books written by a guy that basically helps guys struggle with, that are struggling with lust and pornography and stuff like that, it's called Every Man's Battle. And the idea is that every guy struggles against lust and pornography. I say that's garbage. To normalize sin and say, it's okay because everybody struggles with this, is just absolute, utter garbage because Romans chapter six says that I'm not under that power anymore and I don't have to struggle with it if I don't want to. And so, again, the idea of sin here, we see a progression. It's every man's battle that allows himself to be tempted, to be drawn away of his own lust and enticed and to give in to his lust, which then leads to sin. Yeah, if you choose that path, it's everybody who chooses that path. But then sin... When it's done, it brings forth death. Not most of the time, every time. Death. Sin destroys everything it touches. Everything. Pastor Chris Chadwick that was with us last week, and was talking to our men. And he just kind of said one of those flippant statements. And I don't know if you've ever been... You he heard people just say things off the cuff and they don't think twice about it and it just kind of hits you in the middle of the chest. It's just like, oh, wow. He said this. He said, sin has no other product than death. It's the only thing that it makes. And like, it was one of those moments where I was just like, what? And like I wrote that down. I'm just like scratching my head. I'm like pulling on my hair. I'm like biting the end of my pen going like thinking through that. And it's just like, and you look at you're like, Did that really? It's the simple things, right? That just like. And I looked at that and I thought to myself, then why do we chase sin if we know how it ends, right? Sin doesn't most of the time produce death and then some of the time produces good times. It always produces death. Sin is incapable of bringing forth anything good, it doesn't have what it takes. Now, before you jump and say, well, you're wrong because I know somebody who did X, Y, Z sin and God ended up using it for good. I'm not saying God can't take sin and turn it for good. God makes dead people alive, okay? That's what he does. But please don't presume that God's going to take the mess that you've made of your sin and turn it around for good. You're presuming on the grace of God, that's a dangerous place to be. But sin has no other product than death. It destroys everything that it touches, when we think about sin, your sin destroys everybody around you. Again, I was talking to our men. Samson defiled himself with the honey and the lion's carcass. You know what he did? He went home and took it to his mom and dad. And he defiled them as a result of it. Samson had a wedding party for a woman that he shouldn't have married. He didn't even have any friends, so they had to go find guys to show up to his bachelor party. He makes a riddle with these guys and tells them, if you get the riddle, I'll give you 30 changes of clothes. And they can't figure out the riddle, so they pressure his wife into giving up the answer. She gives it up. Samson's been had, and you know what Samson does? He goes down to get his 30 changes of clothes because he made a wager on something that he didn't have. You know what he did? He murdered 30 people and took their stuff. Dude, like you went from like hooking up with a girl that you shouldn't have to being a murderer. Like what? You know why? Because sin destroys everything that it touches, and sin hurts and damages every single person around you, everybody. Everybody hurts as a result of your sin. That's why we can never have a soft stance on sin. Well, that's his thing. He does it, it doesn't affect anybody. That's garbage. Your sin always hurts people around you. And all you have to do is spend five minutes in the Bible, and you can see story after story after story of people that were defiled by other people's sin. David decided to number the children of Israel. You know what happened? Tens of thousands of people died. Because David was an idiot and didn't do what God told him to do. Well, that's just on David. No, it's on the thousands of people that died as a result of it. And so again, you can't say my sin only affects me because it always affects people around you. One author put the, this predictable progression in four different categories. Deception, desire, disobedience, and death. I, I like that because they all start with these. It's kind of fun. Deception, desire, disobedience, death. But it's the same thing. Lust, enticement, drawn away, sin, death. And so, what if? (laughs) How crazy is this? What if we could limit the temptation so that we're never drawn away, so that we don't get baited and enticed So we don't give in to lust, and lust never causes sin, and sin never brings about death. What if we just back that all the way up in reverse and just cut it off at the temptation? Yeah, that's the idea. That's why for us, for our family, we've made a decision in our home, no R-rated movies, period. Well, it's a really good war documentary. If a bunch of unsaved guys can get together and say that this should not be viewed by children, then it's probably not appropriate for Christians to watch either. Just saying. Now, I'm thankful for services like VidAngel and things like that. That If you don't know about VidAngel, you should look that up like tonight. It filters out your Netflix and your, your Amazon Prime movies and bas- allows you to pull out cussing and nudity and things like that. It allows you to watch movies without these things. That's just a standard that we have. Hey, another standard that we have in our home is we don't allow shows or movies with cursing in our home. And you so. What are you, some kind of prude? No, I'm trying to cut off temptation. I gave up foul language and cursing like two decades ago. I'm not trying to go back there again. I don't need to be tempted to do that. When I go to the mall with my wife, and I'm walking past where the Disney store used to be, sad times, sad times. (laughs) I happen to know directly to the left of the Disney store is Victoria's Secret, you know what I do? I always walk on the opposite side or I keep my eyes forward. I'm not even looking over there. Now, I'm a married man. I could go in there if I wanted to with my wife. But you know what? I don't want to go in there and look at other women and look at the posters that are on there and look at what other people are holding up and what they're holding up against themselves. I can't afford that kind of temptation. So before I ever get to lust, I'm going to roll back to temptation and cut it off right there because I'm going to cut it off at the source. Because I don't need to be enticed. I don't need to see bait and then figure out what I'm going to do with the bait. No, I'm going to go back and make sure that I never get baited to begin with. I'm not going to be alone with a person of the opposite sex ever under any circumstances whatsoever. Because I'm going to dial it back to temptation. If I send an email to a lady in our church, I'm going to CC my wife on that email. I'm going to make sure that my wife has access to my phone to read through all my emails and text messages. Because again, I don't want any temptation. I can't afford it. And so again, if we look at this progression and James lays out for us exactly how sin goes down, we gotta go back to the source and cut it off at the source. I'm not gonna put myself in a position where I would even be tempted, much less have to say no to temptation. And if temptation comes, I'm gonna make sure that I don't go to the next stage of being drawn away. I can't afford that. I see a breadcrumb trail towards sin. I gotta look at that and go, whoa, I know where that goes and that's nowhere good. Cut it off at the source. The fight against sin will be greatly enhanced by advanced preparation. (laughs) You need to figure out what you're going to do when temptation comes knocking. Again, the moment to say no to temptation is not in the moment. It's before you ever get to the moment. Hey, I know ahead of time I'm not going that route. I know if I hang out with these people I'm going to get involved in sin. I know if I go this place, I know that I'm not strong enough to say no. And so I'm going to, ahead of time, prepare for this. I'm going to make sure that my walk with Jesus is so incredibly hot that when the time comes to sin, I'll be able to value Jesus over the sin that this world has to offer. I want to do some legwork ahead of time. (coughs) I think that every man in this room that's married should count the cost of being unfaithful to his wife. Jesus says, what man in building a building doesn't first stop to count the cost to see if he can finish it? What would it cost you if your wife caught you looking at pornography, if your wife found some inappropriate text messages on your phone? What would it cost you? You should probably write that out on a sheet of paper and realize that's too high of a price for me to pay. For me, you know what I've done? I've done the math ahead of time and I realize I can't afford temptation. It destroys everything. I'll lose my marriage. I'll lose my family. I'll lose the respect and honor of my children. I'll hurt my church family. I'll bring shame and reproach upon the name of Jesus Christ. I'll lose the respect of my friends. I'll become another statistic of another Christian who said that they were one thing, but it were actually another thing. I'll be labeled one of the worst things a Christian can be labeled with. It's called a hypocrite. Someone who creates a standard for other people that they have no intention of following for themselves. And I figured, I've done the math ahead of time and realized I can't afford temptation, much less sin, not going there. So again, your fight against sin is going to be greatly enhanced by advanced preparation. I've met like three people in my life who showed up for a marathon on race day with no training. And they were people with ridiculous genetics and very, very athletically gifted. But for the majority of people that show up on race day, they usually have about 18 weeks of training in before they ever show up for a 26.2-mile race because it's hard. And look, the fight against temptation is going to be a lot longer than 26.2 miles. It's the rest of your life. You could use some advanced preparation to help get you through the battle. The fight against sin will be greatly enhanced by fortified boundaries. We sometimes refer to these things as biblical convictions that we have. For example, no already movies in our home. Things that keep us set boundaries. Not going to be alone with a person of the opposite sex. I'm going to allow my wife full access to my phone and my internet history. I'm going to put blocking software on my phone, my laptop, my iPad to make sure that I don't go places that I shouldn't go. And if I do, somebody gets a report and somebody raises a red flag. I'm going to set up our television for parental control so that we can't watch things that we shouldn't be watching. All these are just boundaries that we set up to fortify our fight against this because I know this, the world, the flesh, and the devil are coming for me, my wife, my kids, my church. And I just got to say, I got to put up some boundaries to make sure that this doesn't get through. And if it does, for some reason make it through, we got the tools that we need to fight against this to get it back out. And so, again, we've got to create boundaries in our, our lives to make sure that we don't get to the point of temptation. And when it comes to boundaries and convictions and standards that we have, it's not what we say they are. It's what we actually allow. So you might say, like, oh, for, for our kids, we, we don't allow our kids to go on single dates with, with people of the opposite sex. But you allow them to sleep over at people's houses where there's people of the opposite sex there. That's not really a standard if you're not keeping it. Sometimes... Dating couples will ask me, well, like, how far is too far when it comes to physical relationships inside before marriage, inside a dating relationship? How far is too far? Well, here's what Paul says. It's not good for a man to touch a woman. Step one. He said, well, that's not really what that means, is it? That's precisely what it means. Look, I remember the very first time my wife came over to my apartment. Now, mind you, we're not walking with Jesus the way that we should. I would not encourage people to be alone with a person of the opposite sex that they're interested in, but we were just friends that were really kind of uh, attracted to each other at the time, we were sitting on the couch, we were watching, (laughs) this is how romantic I am, we were watching a Bruce Lee movie. (laughs) No lie. And if you've never watched a Bruce Lee movie with someone that you're really interested in, you you haven't lived life yet. Uh, So... Watching this Bruce Lee movie, I'm kind of into it and stuff like that. And we're sitting there on, I got a little uh, bachelor green suede love seat in my apartment. It was awesome. and It was the first thing to go when we got married. But we're sitting together on this love seat, and and we're sitting there, just the two of us. Now, mind you, we're just friends and stuff like that. We haven't even, like, said that we like each other. We're interested in each other. We're just kind of, like, hanging out watching Bruce Lee flicks together, right? And her foot touches my foot and immediately like the hair on the back of my neck stood up and like I began to get like sweaty palms and my forehead broke out in a sweat and her foot just grazed against mine. And then she kind of like left it there like a little bit on top of mine, a little bit not. And like my heart started beating. I quit reading subtitles. I mean, just like, it was just like, oh my goodness, what's happening in this moment right now? And I was just like, and the fact that like, and I'm thinking to myself like, she didn't move her foot off when it touched my foot. What does that even mean, you know? And you're thinking to yourself, that's so funny. No, that's how God designed us. That's why Paul says it's not good for a man to touch a woman. Because when a man touches a woman, a thousand and one fire alarms go off inside of his brain and in his heart and his mind. And so sometimes people ask, well, what's the, what should we do? Here's the thing. If you say, well, is it okay for us to hold hands or to hug or to kiss, X, Y, Z, stuff like that, whatever. But here's the thing. Don't cross the line of temptation. It's not a matter of how, can we get, how close can we get to sin without crossing the line. It's a matter of how can we cut off temptation at the source so we never have to worry about being enticed to sin. So again, it's not a matter of like, how close can we get to the line without stepping over. It's a matter of how can I avoid sin altogether. And again, holiness and righteousness is always God's plan and it's always the best thing for you. When it comes to the fight against sin, it's only gonna be won by the power of the Spirit. This is not a matter of white knuckling against sin. This is not a matter of actually just, oh, I'm, I'm gonna try not to do it. I'm gonna try really hard not to do it. I'm gonna try really hard not to do it. That's not it. It's the power of the Spirit of God inside of me. And if you've been saved, if you've been born again, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit, according to John 14, 15, and 16 His job is to convict you of sin and tell you, hey, stop doing this. This is not good for your spiritual health. It's the Spirit's job to guide you into truth and say, hey, remember what the Bible says about this. It's the Holy Spirit's job to get a hold of you and shake you and say, hey, this is not where you want to go. That's why it's a dangerous place to be if you've quenched or turned off the Holy Spirit in your life. If the Holy Spirit is a hearing aid in your ear that speaks truth into your life and you reach up and turn the volume to the off position, you've quenched the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you to stop, but you can't even hear it because you're just so enamored with sin. It's a dangerous place to be. But the power of the Spirit has to kill my wandering heart. Our heart wants more. And God created us that way so that we would crave God. We would desire to know God and to know Him more. And the more that we get of God's Word, we would desire more of the Word. The more truth we get, the more truth we would desire. The more that we see God work in our lives, the more that we would desire to see God work in our lives. The more people around us that know Jesus, the more we desire for other people to know Jesus. The change that we see in our own life, we desire that change in other people's lives. But the problem is is if our heart isn't fixed upon the things of God and we fix our hearts upon the things of this world, now my heart just wants more of the world. And when I get stuff, I just want more stuff. And when I get sin, I want a little bit of sin. I want a little bit of different type of sin. And so we got to make sure that our heart, our wondering heart gets put to death. That's what David said in the Psalms, my heart is fixed, oh God, my heart is fixed. I got a target that I'm shooting at, and it's Jesus. That's where my heart goes, not on the things of this world. Next, we have to kill our propensity to lust. I need to be able to recognize when I've crossed the line into lust, because lust is conceived and it brings forth Sin. And sin brings forth death and destruction. And so I have to cut off my propensity, my desire to lust. How do I do that? I ask God to change my heart and I put my deeds of the flesh to death. And just know this, if you're listening to garbage worldly music and watching garbage worldly entertainment, television shows and movies, and you are surrounding yourself with worldly people, just know this, your propensity to lust will be greatly increased. Increased. That's why, again, I get i got to go back and cut off temptation at the source. And look, I recognize, like, oh, I work with a bunch of rough guys. Okay, you can't control that, but you can control who you hang out with after work. If you continue to hang out with the same rough guys after work, what does that say about you? If you know they're a negative influence, you can't get away from, from them at work, why would you choose to be with them af- outside of work? And look, I was in the military before. I know all about mandatory fun days. You know, hey, we're gonna have this big fair, bring your family, and you're required to be there for at least four hours. I get it, I've been there. But I, I can choose who I spend time with. I can choose who I allow to influence me. But I need to cut off my propensity, my desire to lust. I have to kill my selfish desires. I have to realize that life is not about me being satisfied in the things of this world, but my life is about being satisfied in the person of Jesus Christ. He is enough. The things of this world will never satisfy. The things of this world will never be enough. But Jesus is always enough. And so I have to kill my sinful, selfish desires that just say, me, 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 me. And look, I can't tell you how many times I sat across the table from a man who's thinking about walking away from his family. He says the most selfish statement you've ever heard, like, when do I get my turn to be happy? Well, if you have an appropriate perspective of the Bible, you'd realize that you don't. You say, well, that sounds like a bummer of a life. Actually, it's not. Because when I live for Jesus and I live for others, I find joy. When I can put Jesus first in my life, I find contentment, satisfaction, fulfillment that I've never had before. When I do things according to God's plan, I find the things that my heart's always been searching for. (laughs) So again, some guy who wants to chase some younger girl at at work that's 15 years younger and has no kids, and says, when do I get to be happy? That's not happiness, friend. You've taken the bait. And I know how your story ends. Death, 100% of the time. So I gotta be willing to kill my selfish desires and realize it's not about me That's why I I love the song we sing tonight. Sin was great, but Jesus is greater. That whatever our sin is, whatever our lustful heart is, Jesus Christ's grace is always greater than our sin. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Romans chapter 5 tells us. Sin might be alluring, but don't be deceived. (laughs) It wouldn't be alluring if it didn't look good. Sin wouldn't be enticing if it didn't bring a promise of at least some temporary satisfaction. But you need to see sin for what it really is. This doesn't last. This doesn't work. Because the only place that this goes is death and destruction 100% of the time. That's why it grieves my heart as a pastor to see people walk into sin. It's just like, bro, this is a bad rerun. I've seen this show before. I know how it ends, and it's going to be really, really sad when it happens." I tried to help a, a family a couple of years ago where the husband had been involved in an adulterous relationship with a coworker, and they had two kids. And he told me, "Pastor, this is just my time to be happy. My whole life, I've put everybody else first. This is my time now. Dude, I know how this ends. I know how it ends." don't do it. I begged him, begged him, don't do this. He chose to, to go after a lifestyle of sin. How do you think it wound up? Oh, he's happy now. Him and his new girlfriend just bought a house, and she's pregnant with their first child. And the kids that he left behind, they're doing great. They're being raised by their grandparents, and they love life. That's not how the story ends. Everybody's hurt. Everybody's damaged. That new relationship has its own problems that were probably greater than the first relationship that he was in. It never ends well. But you can't tell someone who's taken the bait that the path that they're on is wrong if they're not spiritual. And deception hooks our heart, it engages our emotions, and it disables critical thinking. This is why it's so damaging. That's why the Bible tells us that our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Because here's, here's how we can be can sell ourselves short. Because we think to ourselves, This feels good. This is what I want. And when that happens, it it puts a hook in our heart and begins to draw us away. We're enticed. Our emotions get engaged. This feels good. This is what I've been looking for. This is alluring. I like this. I could totally see myself here. And then what happens? Your critical thinking is disabled because your emotions are overwhelming. That's what deception is. Nobody really thinks it all the way through. Nobody thinks to themselves, I'm going to get myself so deep into credit card debt that I can't pay my rent, I'm probably going to have to file for bankruptcy. Nobody thinks that. Nobody thinks I'm going to leave my wife, and my, my life's going to fall apart, my wife's life's going to fall apart, my kids are going to hate my guts, and I've splintered my family tree forever and ruined the name of Christ. Nobody thinks that. They just think to themselves, hey, I think I deserve to be happy. And they disable any critical thinking that they ever had to begin with. You can't afford it. And just know this. Let me help you with this tonight. You're not smart enough to do this on your own. You might be the smartest person in the room. You're not smart enough to figure this out on your own. You need God's help. Because the smartest person in the world can be deceived. I don't think it's any coincidence that this year, the past 12 months, two of the richest men in the world, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, both of them's marriages have fallen apart. I don't think it's any surprise. You know why? Because for them, it was just a transaction. For them, in this case, they had everything that the world had to offer, and they realized that it wasn't enough because their priorities weren't in the right place. Both of the men proclaimed not to be Christians. No big shocker there. The choices that they make. But what happened? What happened? They found something else they thought would bring satisfaction. They chased after that. And it just goes to show there's not enough money in the world. doesn't matter how smart you are. You are not immune to temptation. So what do we do? Back up, cut it off at the source. Some of you tonight have already taken the bait. Some of you are already neck deep in sin. And tonight is your night to say, I'm done with this. I can't afford this anymore. I got to let this go. You need to repent of your sin. Repent means to turn from your sin. And know this, Jesus and your sin are always at opposite spectrums. And to turn from your sin, the only place that you can turn is turn to Jesus. But please understand that every single time you turn to your sin, you're turning your back on Jesus. Don't forget that. And so some of you need, tonight need to repent of your sin and turn back to Jesus and get this thing right. Some of you are already dabbling. Some of you are trying to do the math in your your brain right now. This bait, is this the real deal or is this bait? Just know this, if it's sin, it's bait. And it's only a matter of time before you get hooked and it leads one place, death. You can't afford it. But some of you tonight maybe are just really loose as far as what you allow to tempt you. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they've got your number and they call and every time they call, you pick up the phone. Some of you need to disconnect the line and get a different number. But here's the thing, when you dabble in sin, I I can promise you where it's going to end up. It's not good. So, the good news is, God provides an alternative, righteousness. Righteousness is what your heart craves. Righteousness is what you want. Righteousness is the good stuff. Righteousness is where you find lasting fulfillment and contentment. So, choose Jesus. You'll never be disappointed. Most important thing in the world, if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you're saved, Please don't leave here tonight without knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. It'll make all the difference in the world. For those of us that are saved, let's make sure that we understand how this progression works and we don't allow ourselves to get caught in the trap. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.